Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the Bible on how God makes man significant. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. God made this world and made this particular place like a temple for a place to, for God and man to meet together. That's what a temple is. God is all about finishing what he starts. You see, the Sabbath is important because it's a remembrance that God really did create everything in six days. The issue is, the issue is remembering the Lord. Remembering the Lord. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday study in Genesis. And it says here that these are the generations of the heaven and the earth. You know, verse 4 says, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is a very, very crystal clear statement. Generations is an interesting word. Teledoth, it means, it means like a birth or a, a come, uh, comes from the word that you would also use for a child, young child. You can just feel it. It's talking about this is how it all came about. This is the origin of the heavens and the earth. This is how it happened in the day that God created the heavens and the earth. That's what it says. And so it's, it's, it, it, it's not open to interpretation. It's very, very clear what he's saying here about how the origins came about. How did they come about? God created them. There's not another explanation. How long did it take for God to make the skies and the heaven? One day. That's what it says. So where did they come from? They came from God. They didn't come from a big bang, big bang theory. Such an intelligent name for a scientific theory, big bang, you know. <laughs> uh, it takes a big, big brain to come up with a big brain. But anyway, that's not true. And man yet tries so hard to invent a science that disproves this verse. I remember when, when the Apollo 17, and they, they, uh, they sent on that mission scientists to the moon, and they discovered this bright orange glass-like rock, and they said, oh, we found evidence for the Big Bang, you know, that there are always, there are people always trying to support this. But as a believer, when you accept this verse, verse 4, peace comes. Why? Because this is the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we have to do. He made everything. Now we come to verse 5. And in verse 5, it describes here, Every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And notice that phrase, And there was not a man to till the ground. That's a significant statement. Why? Because it shows that God was making the earth for man. And it, show, it points out what was missing from the earth. There was not a man to till the earth. Now, verse 8 and 9, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that's pleasant to the sight, that's first, and good for food, second. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now from verse 4, we are taken from, as we've been seeing so far, the skies and the earth to now focus down on one place on earth, the Garden of Eden, one place. And it's, it's as if here at last 
is the place of God's focus on this, on this garden. Everything that God has made, it seems like, is to adorn this garden or this place. The earth was to be a stage for the garden. The skies and the moons and the stars and the, and the, the sun were for the adornment of the garden. It's a very, very special place. So let's step back a little bit and look at what we see as we move toward this garden, what we've seen already. First of all, look at, at Genesis 1-3, and let me ask you the question, how is described how light came to be? God said, right? God said, let there be. God spoke. Let there be. Okay, there was light. Okay, good. Now, where else do we see in this first chapter God creating by speaking? Where do we see that? Verse 6, God said. Firmament. Okay, another one. Nine. Okay, God said. Waters. Gathered. Eleven. God said. Grass. Fourteen. God said. Lights. Twenty. God said, waters bring forth abundantly. 24, God said, earth bring forth living creature. But something changes in this pattern when we get to verse 26. What is it? Yeah, let us, which is like, there's not God saying here. It's like God, a consultation. There's a consultation. Let us make man. Okay, now look at the first part of uh Chapter 2, verse 7. He formed. He formed man. Remember, that's the word, yatsar, from the potter. You know, he formed. He took dust of the ground. We didn't get this. This didn't happen before. And with his own hands, God has now formed. Now, look at the second part of verse 7. What is it's unusual here? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God breathed man, he breathed into man life. Something from God left God, went into man, and man became alive. alive, alive. You've heard of the kiss of death? This was the kiss of life. Man's life stems now, as we're told, from, from something that comes from God and goes into man. Something that they have now in common. Something, it's life, it goes into man. Something from God, his breath, now goes into man. And man becomes a living soul. Now that this is very unusual. So now he plants a garden. God plants a garden. God himself plants a garden. And then he puts man who he, informed in, who he had formed into the garden. So what did he do differently when a garden? He didn't say, and let there be a garden with a lot of plants. That's not what's said here. He didn't say, and let there be man. You see what's going on here? There's a progression that's going on. A progression from creating matter to creating animals by speaking And then we go from that to a progression of consultation, let us make man. And then we go from that to a progression of creating or forming with his hands. And then we go from there to a a, a progression of breathing into man and, and planting a garden. Okay? So what happened here? It's a progression of increased involvement. You see that? It's increased involvement. See, God didn't say, let's make man, it'll be our image. 
He breathed into man. That's it. He breathed into man. He gave him the kiss of life. You know, when you kissed your spouse, you got, that was momentous. You got increasingly involved. You were involved. <laughs> the same way that God got in, was going in increased involvement. Involvement of what? Of himself. Increased involvement of himself. Sees so the creation moving toward man, and we see that God is, is now, he's not going to let the angels do this or anyone else, but he's going to do it himself. He's going to do it himself. Does that remind you when he said, I go to prepare a place for you? This is so important. I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to let somebody else do it. I'm going to do it myself. When he came to redeem man, he didn't have an angel or some other being die for man. He did it himself. He got involved, personally involved. And we see this pattern here in, 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 uh, in the first two chapters here of God moving and getting more personally involved. Why is all this important? Because it's showing that as God moves toward his special relationship with man, he's getting more and more involved, more committed, more giving himself to this intimate relationship that he wants to have with man. It's an increasing involvement. You know what you see in that? You see the seeds of the gospel. That's what you see. You see the seeds of the gospel. Why do you see the seeds of the gospel? Would you think that God would go to all this commitment, all this work, all this trouble, all this involvement in the creation of man just to lose him forever because man sins? That's not God finishing the work. That's not God finishing. In this involvement of the creation of man, God has committed himself too much to fail just because man sins. Now, Moses got a hold of that principle. Moses was a good lawyer. Moses was a good, he knew how to leverage. Moses knew how to leverage. He knew how to push the button, push God's button. And he did that in Numbers 14. And I'd like for you please to turn to that. Numbers 14, that was a good thing that Moses did when he was arguing uh, here because he got a hold of this principle in verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. That's pretty serious. That's some pretty serious words. In other words, God's saying, I'm finished. Just step aside and I will destroy the people. That's a very serious situation. This is the record. This is the record. It's very embarrassing, but you start with Exodus and you go through and you have this, this record of provocations and of discontent and of complaining and of murmuring. And this is the record. I think I told you one time, I went to go see my cardiologist, Dr. Goldberg, and he said to me, oh, Tom, you have a heart murmur. And I said, that's okay. My people are known for murmuring. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, we just got finished with Passover. And there's this song that is sung in Passover called Dainu. Anybody ever heard of the word Dainu? You know, die, Dainu. It means it's enough. It's enough. And, you know, when you look at the words of that song, it's like, uh, it says some things like, uh, if he had brought us just to the Red Sea and hadn't parted the Red Sea, that would have been okay. That's enough. Dainu. That would have been enough for us, you know. And if he had... Actually, no, how did it go? If he had brought us through into the, the, the desert and hadn't given us the bread from heaven, that would have been okay too. That's Dainu. That would have been enough, you know. It goes through it, one after the other. I look at that song and I say to myself, 
you know, if that's not a rewriting of history, I don't know what is. You know, and I think to myself, you know, maybe it's me. Maybe I have a memory lapse or something like that. But I don't remember it that way, you know. I remember them coming to the Red Sea and, 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 and not getting bread and ready to kill Moses. They weren't sitting there saying, you know, Moses, it's all right. It's enough. It's fine. We're very content, happy people. We never complain. We never murmur. And that's just not the way it happened. The record does not show this people coming there and saying, it's okay, it's fine, it's enough. That's not it. Because the record shows quite the opposite, and unfortunately this is one of the times here. But when Moses realized that God was ready to destroy the people, in verse 13, he says, And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land that they have heard that the, thou, Lord, art among this people, and that thou art seen face to face, and that thou cloud standest over them, thou goest before them by day in a pillar of cloud, in a pillar of night by night. Now if thou kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of thy fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he has slain him. See, Moses, he knew the button to push, and he pushed the right button, because this is true about God. God is a finisher. God says, and so in essence, God could say to Moses, you're right, Moses, we're going to save the people. God's going to save the people. So this is really Moses, Moses really driving with God, look, God, how involved you've been with the people. Look at the involvement that you've made. I mean, you went to the trouble of making the, the, uh, the fiery pillar and the cloudy pillar and so forth. It's all your involvement. And so God's involvement was the guarantee that he would not cast off the Jewish people. That's what it is. God's involvement with them, because it was God who got involved. And that's what it is with man. God has become so involved, as we've seen here in Genesis 1 and 2, in making man and setting up the place to have this intimate relationship that even when man sinned, that he, God would leave heaven for man and die for his sins. Tom, today you brought up an interesting thought of how creation was for man and that all that God did was for man. Now, I've tended to think that creation really was made for God. And I've really never thought that, you know, how God created all what we have today is really for man's benefit. Now, do you find this counter to our current thought or culture out there today? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this was the the thing that so astounded King David. Because what he said in Psalm 8, and looking back over the creation, he said, What is man, in Psalm 8, 4, what is man that thou art mindful of him? In other words, he's looking at the creation, he's looking at everything that God did, and he realizes, David realizes that he made the water for man, he made the fish for man, he made the animals for man, he made the lights for man, he made the stars for man, he made the garden for man, he made... All everything for man. And David says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Job also, looking back over it, said in Job 7, 17, same thing. What is man that thou shouldst magnify him and that thou shouldest settest 
thine heart upon him. Boy, that's something that Job has come up with there. He says, what you have done in the creation is you have magnified man. You have set your heart upon man. God set his heart upon man. When you look at the creation, you can say the creation is God setting his heart upon man. Now, what we see in the creation, and as God is God setting his heart upon man, God magnifying man. How did God magnify man in the creation? How did he set his heart upon him? Well, first of all, there is only one thing that says that it's where it says that God made this with his hands. God did not make the light with his hands. He did not make the stars with his hands. He did not make the earth with his hands. He did not make the heavens with his hands. He spoke many of those things into existence. He did not make any animal with his hands. No lion was made with his hands. No porcupine was made with his hands. He didn't make any fish with his hands. But Man uniquely is identified in Genesis as handmade by God. He formed man. In other words, it's as if God, you can picture him, and he's in the creation. He says, let there be, and there was, and let there be, and there was. And then it's almost as if God steps off of his throne, and he gets down on his knees on the earth, and he takes red soil, and from that soil, he forms man out of the dust of the earth. What a picture, the great creator doing that. Man is handmade. Then we see that really when we step back, as we've mentioned, is that everything in the creation is for man. It's like, these are the stars, so there'll be a light for for you for the night. Uh, uh, There'll be a lesser light for the night and a bigger light for the day. For who? For man. And then we have this, this statement. Only man, no animals, no fish, only man is said to be made in God's image. In God's image, capable of doing internally what God does capable of choosing capable of loving these are the this is part of the image of god capable of 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 understanding what is good and what is bad by the conscious which is god's mirror inside of man and then only man it says that god breathed into man his spirit, and man became a living soul. This statement is not made for any animal, any fish, no other being. Did God breathe into his spirit, his spirit into, and as it said, that he became a living soul, just man. And that brings us now to the greatest, most most famous verse in the Bible, which really brings the focus on man. For God so loved, the word is the world, but we could say man. God so loved man that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever, whoever man, any man, whosoever will, it says, whosoever believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Nothing like that was ever stated or ever happened for the fallen angels, only to man. 
So God, it's true what Job says. God magnifies man. God sets his heart upon man. God says, man, you are important. Now, as you brought out, it is counter to current thought because by contrast, the devil makes man so insignificant. How? With the very start of a human life here on earth, in an embryo, and the beauty of it all, as the embryo develops within the womb, and the embryo begins to to develop the features of a person, with the eyes and the beating heart and the little hands and the feet, oh, the wonder of it all, the life beginning in the womb. That's so precious. That is so, when God looks at that, he said, that's man. That's man that I am magnifying. That's the little man or the little woman. That's the little man, the little woman that I am setting my heart upon. So what does the devil do? The devil says, you know, if it's just not convenient for you now in your life, in your career, in the course that you've chosen for you, kill it. Get an abortion. Human life is not precious. Oh, there's many more embryos. Well, you're going to have babies, 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 too many babies. Who cares about babies? They're not that important. And what is the devil doing here? He's making man insignificant, the exact opposite. So the current cultural thought with the acceptance of abortion is to make man insignificant, exactly the opposite of what God does. Next, evolution. What we've just talked about in the creation is the high honor that man has in being handmade by God. The high honor that man has as being the only one who is said to be made in the image of God. The only one that had God's spirit breathed into him. The only one that is said to have become a living soul. So, just like Job said in Job 7.17, God magnifying man, God setting his heart upon him. What does evolution do? It says, what are you talking about? You're not so important. You just happened. You happened from, uh, from, from some primordial slop that somehow came together with the, with the right uh, mix and, and out of it crawled, uh, and out of it was a, a microorganism, then crawled out a tadpole, somehow then became a reptile, an amphibian, a reptile, and then became a monkey, and then you're just nothing more than offshoot of the monkey. You just happened. What's that? That is making man insignificant. And if you think about it, then you have the the whole problem of depression. What is depression? Depression is a pressing down, a pushing down. What are these things doing? All this current thought, the evolution, the pressing down of the significance of man. The uh, abortion, human life is not precious, press it down. Then you have the situational ethics. What are situational ethics? Situational ethics say that thou shalt not murder ordinarily, but in some situations it's okay. Thou shalt not commit adultery ordinarily, but in some situations it's okay. 
In other words, God says, you are so significant that I have given to you real laws of right and wrong, immutable laws of right and wrong that do not change with situations. You are significant. These laws are for you. By contrast, the devil says, oh, no, they're not. There's no such thing as absolutes, rights, and wrongs. It just depends on the situation. And what is all of that doing? Pressing man down, making him insignificant. Now, today, you have this over-exaltation of animals, animal rights. Animals are to, to be kind to and not to be cruel to. But I remember one time a dear friend of mine came into the laboratory, and when we showed him a bottle of ascites that came from 40,000 mice, he jumped back and he said, there's 40,000 souls in that flask. What was he doing? Over-exalting animals, making them as significant as man. Certainly, God does not agree. Certainly, the book of Genesis does not teach that. And should we be good stewards of the earth? Absolutely. But when the green movement goes overboard and says the earth is so incredibly more significant than man, that's wrong. So God places great significance on man, and by contrast, the devil makes him insignificant. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow on Wednesday as we continue in Genesis. Are you interested in learning more about the Jewish Messiah? Well, Tom Cantor has compiled a book of 194 prophecy and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this book has over 80 pages of Old Testament prophecy and New Testament fulfillment. If you'd like to obtain a copy of this book, please call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that number is 1-800-247-3051, and we can get a copy of that booklet into your hands. We'd also like to help you to reach Jewish people by getting a copy of Tom Cantor's DVD testimony and booklet to be able to give to your doctor, lawyer, friend, businessman, coworker, neighbor, even a relative. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051 to get a copy of that. That's one 800 247 3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you can find more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God.